You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Boston Loose Baseball Episode 20, the Major League Baseball Draft, is this weekend. We got to talk about that. We're going to have Steve Bernhardt from Baseball Factory covering the best high school prospects and Teddy Cahill from Baseball America on the top college prospects, you're going to be prepared for the draft. Just by listening to this podcast today, you will know all of the names at the top of the board that the Nats might be choosing at number five. So this is a must-listen pod if you're getting ready for the draft, plus the Futures game this weekend. Cade Cavalli has a blister. We'll discuss that. I was at the doubleheader. Danny, you caught one of those games against the Mariners. We'll discuss Juan Soto going deep in both ends. All coming up right now, Episode 20, Boston Loose Baseball. Here we go. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Welcome into Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 20. Let's begin with a doubleheader sweep at the hands of the Seattle Mariners. Good news, bad news here, Danny. Let's start with the, the good news, which was that Juan Soto in both ends of the doubleheader Homer to the ninth inning, something that had not happened in baseball in well over a decade. The first of the two home runs, he went to left center field on a slider at the top of the strike zone. The second of the two home runs in game two should land sometime in the next week or so. One of the most prodigious gone-off-the-bat home runs I've ever seen live at Nats Park. I stood up and yelled. I, I just said the letter instead of the word because I was in public. But I said, get the F out. At the top of my lungs. He hit it 18 million miles an hour. That ball was harmed. It actually was 112 miles an hour off the bat and about 450 feet. But my God, was that a tater trot. I mean, by the time it had cleared the wall, Juan Soto had already had a, a nice little delivery with the catcher. Strange thing afoot there, by the way. I don't know what was going on. Both ends of the doubleheader. A lot of chatter. It seemed fairly amiable. It didn't seem too contentious. Nobody or, was angry. Yeah. They don't play the Mariners again, so I, I don't think it's an issue. It was something, though, There was right? laughter there. Yes, there, I thought he was talking with the umpire the entire day. I think to some extent he was, but he was all to the catchers, and right after the home run, you're right, I've never seen this. He, like, turns around and says something, but there was no, like, standing up and beefing. He just kind of starts jogging. He gets back to home plate. No one seems to be upset at him. Another little combo happens. I just imagine, like, you know, I hope Brian McCann's okay, wherever he is, having to witness something like that, just the horror in his own home. I would hate to think what he would have done. I mean, hide the sharp object. Yeah, just make sure no one, when they show the highlights, like, and if your name is Brian and or McCann, please turn away. This will be very graphic. But but back to the point. Juan Soto was locked in. Juan Soto is astonishing. That is... You know, home runs in the ninth inning of both ends of the doubleheader. I think only a handful of guys in history have ever done that. You don't get that many opportunities over the course of uh, of a year to do it. But, man, oh, man, the first one, taking a slider, being able to wait back and just flicking his wrists and, and knocking it into the bullpen in left center field, ridiculously impressive. 
But then there's the just reacting to a fastball up and in, shades of the World Series homer off Justin Verlander where he carried his bat a la Alex Bregman over to first base. Just an absolute nuke. Just I I get we run out of superlatives for how you know how good this dude is, and what people don't quite appreciate, I think, and we try to hammer this point home, Jeeps, is to be able to do it and see so few hittable pitches. Everybody knows that they're trying to pitch around you. Everybody knows that you are the target. Everyone knows that Nelson Cruz behind you is quite simply not protecting you. I'm going to go after Nelson Cruz until he stops hitting weak three hop ground balls to my shortstop, right? And that is for the indefinite future. Juan Soto ain't going to be the guy that beats me. You get these rare opportunities when you're up, you know, you're if you're Juan Soto, you're down five or you're a solo uh, the home run away from it being a one-score game as it was in the ninth inning. You're not going to get too many pitches to hit. And to be able to do damage with those things, still remain patient, take the walks at, at a, a 30% clip, which is what he did, uh, which is what he's done so far in the month of July. It's just ridiculous. It's so, so hard to do. And he's doing it. He extended his hitting streak and his on-base streak uh, in both of the games of the doubleheader, obviously. And he extended his hitting streak in the final at-bat of both of those games with those home runs in the ninth inning, which is dramatic and awesome. One for four with the Bolton game two. Ninth inning home run. Now 15 games, longest in the big leagues that he's had a hit, and 21 games on base, which we'll get to in a second. Actually, I think it's 22. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I'm going to read from the Nationals postgame notes here. During the streak, he is 20 for 50. That's a 400 batting average over 15 games. Four doubles, five homers, 10 batted in, 16 walks, and 16 runs scored. Uh, He has reached base in 22 consecutive games. That's also the longest streak of his career now. 76 walks leads to Major League Baseball this season. Second most first half walks in Nationals franchise history behind Bryce Harper, who had 78 in 2018. Remember, that was the year, I think, where everyone just started walking him because he was on a tear. Yep, going, not he, you. He never got a hit again, pretty much, after that, which that's what's amazing about Soto. Is that's he's the Joe able Madden to, bit, right? To somehow do both. What did, did, did Harper walk 13 times, 14 times in a series against the Cubs? Was, was it that many? I, it was literally, I think it was every at bat. Joe Madden said, I, I don't care. It's not going to be you. I was thinking it was single digits, but that's even crazier. Man, uh, maybe I made that number up. Maybe I've hyped it up over the years, like my, my Little League home <laughs> run totals. In 10 years, Bryce Harper walks 50 <laughs> times in a series against the Cubs. 100 walks. Eric Fetty, quick shout-out. Five and a third innings, only the one strikeout, but he allowed six hits and two earned runs. Pretty good start for him. Good bounce back for him. I was hoping he was going to get a QS, but didn't happen because he didn't quite finish the sixth inning. How about this, though? Sixth time this season the Nats have not scored a run while he was on the mound. Think about that. Yeah. Eric Fetty, man, six times they haven't scored a run while he's on the mound. He's allowed three or fewer runs in 14 of his 18 starts. 14 starts now lead the Nationals. Been a bit of a workhorse for them. Eric Fetty has really bad outings, and in the end, his numbers because of that are never going to be great over the course of the season. He also has a lot of very solid outings. Like He has now become a prototypical back-of-the-rotation type starter. When, when you have, through 18 starts... Three earned runs or less in 14 of them, uh, and that's over an 18-start span. Like That's a pretty big deal. He's had two, and I would say maybe three starts this year. Maybe. I'll, I'll, I'll call it two, but maybe it's two and a half. You want to you split the difference. Where the team has just had no chance, right? It's just, you know, you give up eight runs in three innings as he did in Atlanta. That game is over, you know, before the team has gone through the order one time. Uh, early in the season, he had another start against Arizona, I think, where he just got shelled, gave up you know seven runs through three and a third. Your team's got no chance. Other than that, as you go over the course of uh, of his starts this season, 18, 16 of his 18 starts, 
I'm not saying they've been excellent. I'm not saying these are, you know, Max Scherzer like gems. These are not Picassos you're, you're hanging in the in the museum. But the team has had a chance to win. And for a guy that's not an ace, and he's not, that's all you can ask for. Right? Now, there are going to be games, and, and we talked about this. In fact, it was the, it was the case for Chris Flexen, the guy that started the first game for the Mariners. He has a bad record, but he's gotten zero run support. I think in his in his eight losses, the team has scored six runs in the in those starts. Good luck. There's always going to be somebody. Jordan Zimmerman had a year like that where I think he was like 14 and 12, but with a with a you know mid two ZRA because he got no run support. There's always a bad luck guy. But Eric Fetty at this point is giving the team a chance to win 90% of the time when he goes out there. That's massive. Quick shout out. Cade Cavalli left his last start in Rochester with an injury, and we were all panicking for a moment on social media having watched the highlight of that. Uh, it's a blister, as we found out soon thereafter, which is great news. I would imagine it means he won't pitch in the Futures game in L.A. I don't know that he's formally been removed from the roster as we're recording this right now, but that is so much better than any of the alternatives because even here, though here. blisters can be a pain in the butt for pitchers, it's a lot better than anything with the arm or the shoulder or the elbow. So that is a really, really good sign. Uh, for Cade Cavalli and the Nationals. That is, that is relevant it. to this? No, it was okay. uh Darius was just showing me that I was right. It was 13 walks in that in that series for Bryce Harper. Validated. But that's not relevant. Walks? Rec- Look at you. Yeah. Wasn't even 50. So I got that one right. But I also derailed the conversation about Cade Cavalli. It's it is really important that it's not something major. It, it might take time and you might be one of those things that slows down the progress a little bit, which is frustrating for guys like you and me that just want to see him in the show. But it, it is good news in a in a potential bad news pool. Tip of the cap, producer Darris, our research department here on Bustin' Loose Baseball for keeping us honest here. All right, we told you, you would get the latest on all the prospects at the top of the draft board. We're going to educate you on the high schoolers and the college players. So first up, let's talk about some of the best prep bats in the nation. All the kids who could hear their names called in the top five. Steve Bernard of Baseball Factory is as smart as anybody. Here was that chat with him. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. See you later. And to learn about some of the best high school players in the country ahead of this draft, we've got Steve Bernhardt from Baseball Factory with us. He is the chief baseball officer for 
the baseball factory. And I got to tell you, he is plugged in on these prep players all over the country. Steve, good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm doing great, uh, Grant and Danny. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know how much I love the draft, and I, I appreciate you guys uh, giving it its due time every year. Well, we're excited about it. The yeah, Nats man. pick fifth. People in D.C. are jacked up because there's a really good chance, Steve, that they can kind of infuse this system with some much-needed talent. So what we wanted to do is just run through a bunch of the names, and, and our listeners are going to potentially hear one of these names called by the Nationals to be their new top prospect. So we want to give him as much information as we can on some of these players. So let's just start with the guy that a lot of people think goes first overall to the Orioles, the best high schooler in the country, the son of Andrew Jones, Drew Jones. What can you tell us? Well, I mean, this is a serious upside play. You know, he's 6'4", he's thin, he's going to fill out, but he's already got some serious power. Um, you know, I've seen him flick his wrist and hit balls, you know, close to 400 feet now um, as a high schooler. Uh, he's a plus runner. You know, he can't avoid the comparisons to his father. He's got a different build um, than his dad did, but he's got kind of that same silky smooth way of patrolling center field. He seems to get to everything. Uh, you know, he throws well. So it's a really good mix of tools um, with projection on top of it. He, he's produced pretty much everywhere he's been. He was actually MVP of our Baseball Factory All-America game that was at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City last year. Um, and I've gotten to see him on several occasions, and and every time I see him, he he does something to impress you, and uh, that's not easy for young guys to to kind of be up every day when they're on, in the spotlight. But he's he's done a good job of that. Let's go down the list here, Steve Jackson Holiday, son of another former big leaguer that was really good. Uh, in in Matt Holiday, what can you tell us about Jackson? Yeah, Jackson is has really been one of those guys that helped himself a ton this spring. He had a huge high school season down in Oklahoma. Um, again, I saw him last fall and really liked him. You know, good actions at short. Like you said, he's grown up around the game, so he's got a high baseball IQ. He's a left-handed hitting shortstop with a nice, clean stroke, good bat-to-ball skills. I guess the difference was, you know, after I saw him in the fall, he really got after it in the weight room in the winter. Uh, grew a little as well, put on about 15 or 20 pounds of muscle, somehow at the same time got faster too, and just came out and had a huge spring. Um, set some records down in Oklahoma, I think, for home runs and RBIs. Um, and every time scouts went in to see him, um, he seemed to hit a home run, have a double, make some good plays at short, and basically kind of vaulted himself into that top echelon of five or six prospects that we're discussing. And, um, you know, there's some scouts that I trust that, that think he's the best player in the draft at this point. I am praying he falls to five to the Nationals. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point. He could go first. I think there's a real good chance he goes second. He's probably going to be long gone. Is my take hot, or do you d disagree with this, that you know, everyone loves Tamar Johnson. We'll have you break him down in a second as the best bat in this class. But from a bat-to-ball standpoint, I kind of like Holiday just as much right now. No one seems to, to think he could be the best hitter of this group because Johnson's kind of had that on lock for a little while. But what do you make of that? Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think it's it's uh, a perfect example of what you're talking about. Just, you know, Tamar's been, quote-unquote, famous for a little while longer as a young player. Um, and I do think that it's a little bit of a different kind of stroke so Tamar's got kind of rhythm and a little bounce move with his hands, and it's it's a little bigger kind of way to get loaded up and hit. And 
you know, because he's gotten comparisons to like Robinson Cano and his heyday with that kind of look to his swing um, and had success, I think, you know, Tamar has, has been the guy that's graded out as the top hit tool in this high school class. But I think you're right. For just straight production and a clean swing and the way he's emerged, I think Jackson has put himself in that conversation as well. So to give Tamar Johnson his full credit, and again, Baseball Factories, the chief baseball officer, Steve Bernard is with us, who's a wealth of knowledge on this high school class. Uh, let, let's get deeper into Tamar Johnson. There is a thought that he could go fifth to the Nats. I've been told it's Parada or him, very likely. Uh, we'll get to Parada when we break down the college players, the catcher out of Georgia Tech. My concern with Johnson, if there is one, is that he's possibly just a second baseman. He's a small guy. He's like 5'8". Is there a chance he could play center field, maybe? He seems like a really good athlete. He is a good athlete. He's not a burner runner, so I don't know that it's like a natural move that you would make saying, hey, he could play center. But he's a really instinctual baseball player. And as you see now, I mean, there's some surprising guys that get put out in center field at the big league level now that aren't necessarily, you know, the old leadoff thin guy that can fly. You know, with shifts and everything else, we see we see the – the Bellingers, even Aaron Judge, guys like that to play center field. So I certainly wouldn't um, eliminate him being able to do it because he's such a good baseball player. With Tamar, there's definitely an it factor. You know, I've been around him quite a bit. He's confident, but it's not obnoxious at all. It's, it's just that he knows he can play the game, and he loves it. He's got a smile on his face. Um, you know, other guys like to be around him. And he controls at bats as well as any high school hitter I've seen. Most of the time when I've seen him on the field, he knows the strike zone better than the umpire that's working that game at the high school level. And um, he's just got a really good feel for how to work in a bat, how to get a count in his favor, find a pitch he likes, and then has an outstanding swing to do some damage. Steve, tell us about Elijah Green. Uh, the, the size jumps off the screen, the page, whatever you want to call it. They just don't make people that big. They don't. And, you know, I think I'm probably now in the minority of, of guys that, that are in this industry. Elijah is still number one on my board. Personally. Really? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you finish Kanye style, but then I have follow-ups because I have okay. questions about the hit tool, but, but keep going. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and, again, my my budget is not such that I can go see Elijah 10 or 12 times during the season like major league teams can. So it's a smaller sample size. I will admit that. Every time I've seen Elijah, he has done something at the field that makes me say, wow, like this 17 or 18-year-old kid just did that, hit a ball that far, ran that fast, made that play. So I just think – that he's a, a little bit of a freak of nature athletically and body-wise, like you were saying, that you don't see every day. And I think he's a really, really good baseball player with huge tools, a power-speed combination that we don't see all the time, especially with that body. The times I've been around him, the makeup is also off the chart, a really hard worker, a good kid. His dad played, was an all-pro, I believe, tight end for the Steelers. Also played a little time in Baltimore with the Ravens. Um, and and Elijah, while he, I know what you're going to say about the swing and miss, and we can discuss that. When I've seen him, 
He can shorten up with two strikes. I've seen him drive balls to right center. I've seen him crush balls out to left. And down at IMG, not only has he had a target on his back for the last couple of years, but he faces as good a competition, as good a pitching night in and night out as any high school player in the country. So that's so true, and, and that is why I, I'm very high on him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're, we're picking nits now, right, when we're talking about the three or four best players in the country. I, right. I say this all right. the time, and I get a lot of guys like him wrong. There's a lot of holes in my game. I'm not a scout. I don't pretend to be, Steve. But I, I, will, miss, too. <laughs> I will miss every time it seems like biggest on guys like this. And what I mean is, like, you remember James Wood, who the Padres just drafted and, and have now an A-ball killing it? Like I certainly do. I've known James since he was 11. Okay, so, like, to me, I thought the same thing with him, where I'm like, you know, he's going to be awesome for someone potentially, but I'm not going to risk the hit tool. Next thing you know, they make one swing tweak, it seems like, and he looks like he's going to be a top 25 prospect in a year or so. And, like, guys like that constantly, I think I would miss on, whereas I'm a... Uh, maybe I'm more conservative, but I kind of like the, hey, I know that Tamar Johnson's going to hit. I know that Jackson Holiday's going to hit. Texas has a bopper who's the best player in the country this year that you know isn't even ranked in the top 100 in a lot of boards. And it's like, that guy's going to hit at the big league level. I don't know what position he's going to play. Jacob Berry, I don't know where he's going to be defensively. But I think he's going to hit. He's a switch hitter. That's just kind of my mindset I, I can't work myself out of. I guess just react to that a little bit. Well, I, again, I would say this. I'm wrong a ton with you. Um, that's what scouting is. But uh, my opinion, I guess, is that his hit tool is better. Elijah's hit tool is better than people are giving him credit for, Okay, I think. You see him. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I, I look at stats and kind of talk to people I trust. But, yeah, you, you've seen him more than any. I mean, you've seen him a ton, I'm sure. For, for me, a guy like him that, and, and I, I know you've either seen him or watched video, I'm sure, it's it's such a quiet start, but he accelerates the bat so quickly, and and kind of gets goes from zero to a hundred in a heartbeat. That I think, and having seen him react to other pitching, I think that he'll be able to figure it out pretty quickly. So, Danny, and, that's and the that's other thing some, is the level of competition at mm-hmm. IMG. Whereas I feel I feel like maybe I penalize him a little bit because I'm going, well, man, he struck out four or five times in a weekend, like none of these guys strike out five times in a weekend, they're not facing these dudes that he's facing either. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, you got to bake that in, and it's why people get paid a lot of money, I guess, to make these picks. Uh, Steve Bernard is with us, Baseball Factory, uh, talking about some of the top high schoolers in the country. All right, who's next on your board here, Danny? I want to look at uh, – this is a weird draft to me in general, Steve, but pitching, it's – it's nastier than it's ever been. It's, with all due respect, better than what you and I were facing playing college ball when you were at Richmond and I was at GW. It's now insane how good these arms are, and there's not a lot of pitching at the top of the board. I think the best high school arm is, I guess, Brock Porter. I'd love for you to a, break down high school pitching in general, but just how do you have your ranking set up? Yeah, I think um, you're right. You're right about that in, in, on both accounts. You know, we're, we're dating ourselves a little bit, me, me even more than you, but we did not see these kind of arms mm-hmm. in high school or even in college, quite frankly, back in the day. I mean, these, these guys train seriously. Um, they're around good people, um, good coaches. They, they, they get stronger, and the, the velocity that we see out of these guys is amazing. Um, you know, Dylan Lesko is a right-handed pitcher, a uh, high school pitcher out of Buford High School in Georgia. Uh, to me, he was the clear-cut best pitcher out there 
Um, and like a lot of the guys this year got injured during the season and, and had Tommy John surgery. So um, there are a number of college guys and a few high school pitchers. Uh, Cole Phillips out of Texas is another one, was hitting triple digits early this spring. It made a huge jump. Um, and then he had a blowout and, and had Tommy John surgery as well. So it, it's, it's a thin crop at the high school level up top. There's a little bit of depth to it, I think. Um, but I, I did think Lesko was a clear-cut top-10 selection. Um, that being said, come draft time, um, you know, that demographic of high school pitchers always seems to get pushed down. It's, it's the riskiest one when you look at the history to, to draft high. So teams get a little skittish, and it pushes them down anyway. Um, you did mention Brock Porter. Uh, from the sounds of it, He's probably going to be the first high school arm to go. It's, uh, you know, it's a mid to sometimes upper 90s power right-handed pitcher out of Michigan, so it's a cold-weather arm that they think maybe doesn't have as much wear and tear on it yet. Um, outstanding change-up that he throws, which is, um, you know, I like a lot, and it's kind of rare that you say that about a high school guy that's yeah, very hard. But but it's kind of like a parachute changeup and comes out like a fastball and has been a very very effective pitch. His breaking ball is his third pitch, depending on what kind of what day you see him. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes you wonder about it a little bit. Um, you know, he's become a little bit more of a pitcher than a thrower over this last year and is starting to to develop uh, some feet, a little bit more feel. And I think that's why teams like him along with the upside. So I, I, I do think from what I'm hearing, he probably becomes the first high school guy off the board. It would have been less go if he was healthy. And I still think that Dylan, somebody will take a chance on him in the first round. Um, it, I don't know signability, but as long as, as that's a possibility, I think he'll go pretty high. And, and, you know, not that the Nationals would do it at five, but they have a history of not being scared off by some guys that have had surgery and need to come back and need some time to heal. Yeah, they did it with Fetty, they did it with Giolito, they did it with Rendon as a bat as well. Steve Bernhardt of Baseball Factory. Uh, can you tell people Cam Collier's story? I, I find it pretty fascinating uh, how much time you spent around him and, and what you think of him because I'm hearing he could go four to Pittsburgh right now. I mean, it sounds like the Pirates are on him possibly. Yeah, this is another guy I'm a fan of, um, and, and that would be an interesting fit. I mean, I think his dad made it to the big leagues with the Pirates. His dad, Lou, played in the big leagues for a little bit. So another guy with good bloodlines. Cam's a left-handed hitting third baseman out of Georgia. Um, he's one of the youngest players in the draft this year, and you're right. His story's an interesting one. He pulled uh, uh, what, what we're seeing several guys do now early on and reclassified. He was originally supposed to graduate in 2023. He reclassified in high school so that he could graduate earlier. We call that the Harper um, around the Harper. here, Steve. Uh, that's correct, yes, because he did. <laughs> he followed Harper even further. Not only did he graduate early, but he went to a junior college um, and played at Chipola Junior College, one of the best colleges in the country um, down in Florida, and had a successful year as a 17-year-old playing against 18, 19, even 20-year-olds there. Um, faced very good pitching. You know, similar to what you were saying about Elijah, facing really good pitching in IMG, Cam, um, you know, probably even exceeded that with, with the group that he played against this year. Um, swung the bat well, and then actually spent a little bit of time up in the Cape Cod League against uh, even older wow. top, top college guys and, and handled himself well there. Do you um, remember a 17-year-old really... at the Cape? 
by the way, I was trying to think about this the other night. I don't ever remember Never. a 17-year-old no. playing on the Cape. No. In my at Baseball Factory, we did we've done a, like development events up there for high school players probably for the last fifteen or twenty years, and in going up there and, and taking those players to games, I never remember a high school player on a Cape <laughs> roster, yeah. quite frankly, right? Much less a young one. Um, but yeah, I, I like Cam a lot. He's he's got a very easy left-handed swing. Like the game seems to come easy to him. Um, it's not a violent swing. It's not. Like what looks jumps off the page is a ton of bat speed, but man, he impacts the ball. He can drive it to all fields. He can hit balls out, certainly to the pull side. Um, he's got big arm strength. He jumps on the mound and, and can run a fastball into the low 90s, maybe even touching higher once in a while, and the arm plays well at third base. It's a bigger frame, but he's got very good hands, instincts, moves well. I think he'll stay at third. And again, yeah, when you're looking at a guy with bloodlines who could potentially hit a left-handed bat in the middle of an order down the road and stay at third base and play very good defense there. Um, that's why he's attractive, too, and I, I agree with you. I think he's going to go really high. Steve, you, you mentioned how your board's kind of played out here among, among the high school guys. Just sort of give me, like, that that person you're just biased towards. Like, every time a conversation comes up about high school players, you're just bringing this one guy up because he's your favorite. You know, we do this in – Fantasy drafts, certainly, where you just always end up with a certain guy on your roster or whatever. Give me a guy that's just your favorite that may not necessarily be a top five, top ten pick, but somebody you think is going to help down the line. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I would uh, – there are a lot of them. There are a lot of guys I like and a few under-the-radar guys. I think there's a, there's a pitcher out of Illinois named Owen Murphy. Um, he's actually a, a pretty legitimate two-way player, um, a shortstop in high school who would play third in pro ball and a right-handed pitcher. He's about six one, so he's not like some of these other guys that when they get off the bus, you know, you, you look you're looking up at a six four, six five guy. But man, he is a great kid. Loves the game. Competes a little bit old school that way. Just you, you know, you know, he's going to scratch and claw and and do whatever he can to help his team win. And he's a little bit of a metrics darling on the mound right now got a good spin rate on his fastball that's usually like 92 93 um spins a good breaking ball that has kind of a high spin rate as well had a ton of success the last couple years is is committed to notre dame um also hit i don't know 12 or 15 home runs i think this year 548 Um, with 18 bombs which is a pretty good high school season oh there even even more than i was giving him credit for with a point one two era and 137 strikeouts and 58 innings that's a pretty good high school season yeah, yeah, it's that's that's good. You're right. Show I, I Murphy. I was selling him short a little bit. So I, I love the kid, and um, again, you know, he, it's a it's a six foot one inch right hander. If he was, you know, six three or four, we might be talking about him in those higher picks. Uh, but I think uh, I think there's some teams that really like him, and and he's a guy that. It's not a surefire first rounder that if I was running a team, he's the kind of guy I want my organization to help me win. Last thing before we let you go, and we're taking up too much of your time, Steve Bernhardt, Baseball Factory with us. Analytics now are available at some of the places like the one that you help to operate where you guys get exit velocities and readings on a lot of these guys. You mentioned an analytics, darling. Are there any like are there any guys high on the board we'd be surprised by 
that have like elite or or the opposite. Like Jacob Berry is a great hitter at LSU, and yet there's some questions because exit velocities are low. Is there anything like that that stands out where you would say, oh, this guy's reading like 110 plus sometimes or 105 plus sometimes? And then the other way where you go, I'm surprised because we all love him, but the exit velocities are low. Anything like that? I don't think it would be huge surprises that I know about. I mean, you know, Elijah and Drew, when we've been around them, Drew Jones and Elijah Green, I mean, they're probably guys that I've seen the most triple-digit exit velocities, both in workouts for us and in games that pop up. I mean, it's kind of some of the stuff that you would expect. Um, you know, I think sometimes um, – for me, at least, the the old school scouting of trust your eyes and, and that kind of thing versus the the analytics. The one spot that I think um, I find myself maybe surprised the most ends up being the spin rate of some breaking balls because I see some curve balls maybe with my own eyes. I'm like, oh, that that looks good. It has depth, and then you go back and look at it and the spin rate's not very high on it. Um, there might be a couple of those guys. I don't want to call out guys for the negative, but there might be a right. couple of those guys in there that that um, some of those teams that look at that may wonder a little bit. Either they're going to have to make an adjustment when they get them in their system or they might stay away from them because the, the curveball might look better and play better against high school hitters than it will against um, higher-level guys. Um, so I, I, I think that's probably the area that, that there might be some, some surprises. As far as the high school hitters, um, I think most of those guys at the top also have, have produced the kind of numbers and metrics that, that these teams are looking for. Steve, really informative stuff, man. Appreciate you joining us and all the great info. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Uh, I appreciate it, and, uh, and I think the Nationals, like you said at the beginning, are, are going to get a really, really good player at their first pick for sure. Yeah, fingers crossed they hit a home run here. Check out Baseball Factory and Steve's work. They got up. You know, a lot of opportunities for young baseball players, and not only that, but just so much information for our purposes on, on these guys that he's known for so many years. Thanks again, Steve. Be well. Thanks. You too, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Long gone! From the best high school players with Steve Bernhardt to the best college prospects in this class, including one that the Nationals are mocked to be taking almost everywhere, let's break down the best bats collegiately with Teddy Cahill of Baseball America. We caught up with him. Here's how it sounded. The reason we choose Teddy Cahill to talk college baseball with is I think he is a wealth of knowledge, and I enjoy his work. You should follow him on Twitter, at Ted Cahill, national writer for Baseball America. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Good to catch up with you. How are you? Absolutely. It's uh, it's a fun time of year with the, with the college season over, draft coming up, uh, beautiful summer day. You know, we, we, we're, we're enjoying it. So 
college pitching is not what this draft is about. In fact, we might not have a college pitcher taken in the first 15 picks, which I would have never thought would happen during my lifetime. Can you explain to people why teams like the Nats picking fifth won't be able to draft a college pitcher in this class and why there is just nobody available at the top of the board? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a weird college pitching class coming into the year to begin with. Uh, There just wasn't a whole lot of experience in the class, and some of that is related to uh, how the, the 2020 season got canceled and just some weird breaks from the class. But then it got significantly worse throughout the year as um, you know, pitcher after pitcher was dealing with, uh, with injuries. Um, you know, you have several guys that would have been highly rated, uh, dealt with Tommy John surgery. Uh, you have a guy like Carson Wisenhut at East Carolina who got suspended for the whole year. Um, you know, just a, a number of things happened over the course of more than a year now that have conspired to leave the, the college pitching class really bereft. Uh, if you look at the Baseball America rankings, you won't find a pitcher, a college pitcher ranked in the top 20. Uh, and it, it, it's remarkable just where we're at because you, you think about college pitching and, you know, you, you see how how often teams go to that well early in the draft. And it's it just, like you said, it's not going to be a route that anyone's taking this year. Who are some of those guys that would have been higher were it not for injury or TJ or otherwise? Yeah, I think, um, so I mentioned Wisenhunt at East Carolina. He was a guy that people were excited about coming off of um, Team USA last year. Kind of prelip at Alabama uh, was off to a, an amazing start to his career before he had Tommy John a year ago. Um, Landon Sims at Mississippi State, a lot of people were excited to see what he would look like as a starter this year. He had been kind of the multi-inning fireman closer on last uh, last year's national championship team. He had Tommy John about, like, he got injured about four starts into the season. Um, it, it, the list is pretty lengthy. Th- those are some of the, the, the highlights, but it's uh, – it, it felt like for a while that anyone, I should mention Florida left-hander Hunter Barco, who has probably had the longest track record of any of these guys uh, and lasted pretty far into the season before he ultimately succumbed to injury as well. So it's, there, there are quite a number of them. Yeah, it's disappointing that it went that way, but here we are. So if you need college pitching, first half the first round, this is not the year for you. Uh, all right, let's talk about the Nats at five. The name linked to them constantly and a guy that I've heard they like a lot is Kevin Parada, the catcher from Georgia Tech. So before we talk about whether or not they should do that with Kbert Ruiz and Parada being fairly quick to the big leagues, just educate people on who he is, what he is. So he is uh, he's at Georgia Tech, which has uh, as good of a track record for developing catchers as really anyone. And uh, he's uh, he's been there for two years. He's an eligible sophomore. Uh, has hit really well over the last two years has some power, is pretty athletic. Uh, There's some questions about him defensively, but I do think he's improved uh, from when he was a high school player and he was very highly rated, uh, but obviously chose to go to Georgia Tech. He, uh, it it was a really impressive season, finalist for the Golden Spikes for pretty much any player of the year award. Uh, Didn't win them because of the special season that Ivan Melendez had at Texas, but one of the best college performers uh, this year, in addition to his tool set. One of the reasons Nats fans are kind of iffy about that, I'd say, and, and I know you should never really draft based on what's at the big league level, but when we're talking about a bat and part of what you love about him is that he's 
a guy that's going to hit pretty soon and could be in the big leagues within, I don't know, a calendar year or, or a year and a half, when the the one or two positions that you have kind of blocked off in the big leagues is catcher for the long term, it's a little bit weird at the top five to go college. Is he going to stay there? Could he play first base? Could he play left field? So he definitely could go and run around the outfield, and that would be just fine. Um, I, I think that, that you could be looking at a, a corner outfielder there. There, there's a debate about is he a catcher? Is he not a catcher? Um, you know, I'll let scouts handle that. But first, I guess first I would say with that is every catcher gets at that question of asked about them. Like unless you're Adley Rutschman, somebody is asking, is that guy actually a catcher? Can he stay a catcher? So like that is the baseline. But you hear it a lot more with Parada. There are reasons to wonder with him. Uh, but if you just love the bat. Uh, like, if you like that enough, he can go be an outfielder, and I, I don't think that would be a problem. Teddy, tell folks about Brooks Lee, a switch hitter, I believe, out of Cal Poly, wanted to go play for his dad, was a, was a guy that could have gone out of high school, but wanted that kind of unique experience. Uh, pretty good bat-to-ball skills, it, it seems like. Where's he going to go? Yeah, he's, uh, he's a guy that you're hearing talked about for that first overall pick. Um, or I think that chatter has pulled off a little bit, but until we know what Baltimore does, you know, we'll just have to see. But he's uh, he's a shortstop. A lot of questions about is he a shortstop? Uh, but his his just feel for hitting is incredible. You mentioned the bat to ball; it's really good. Uh, he played at Cal Poly for the last three years. Was uh, very highly rated out of high school, much, much in the same range as Parada. They were both kind of thought of as second round pick types out of high school. They've gone to college and they'll now go in the top five, top ten picks somewhere in there and. He, uh, I mean, he's just a really good hitter. He's going to play somewhere on the infield, whether that's shortstop or, or second base or maybe third base. We'll, we'll have to see. But uh, what, what you're definitely buying there is the, the feel for hitting and uh, just the uh, a lot of – he has good tools, but he also just has incredible baseball instincts and everything plays up as a result of that. Yeah, you're right about – you know he's playing for his dad and he kind of plays that way. You know what I mean? He's, he's the guy who grew up around the game. It's pretty obvious – when you talk to him, which I got to, or certainly when people watch him and scout him. Uh, I love Jacob Berry. I, I am in a dwindling group, it seems like, on that front. I <laughs> would draft him in the top ten and feel good about it because I think that guy's going to rake, and he's a switch hitter. Uh, he's got some power as well. The problems are the lack of a defensive position, and it sounds like, and I didn't know this until recently, so I'm, I have a little bit of pause, but his exit velocity numbers are troubling some of the analytically-minded teams uh, fill in some of the blanks and just tell people about Jacob Berry of LSU who's played for two good programs the last couple of years. Yeah, so he's also an eligible sophomore. He started at Arizona um, and was part of their College World Series team a year ago. And then when their coach, Jay Johnson, uh, was hired away from Arizona by LSU, he ended up following uh, Jay to Baton Rouge. And, yeah, I mean, your, your snapshot there is, like, incredible hitter. Uh, like, has, his numbers over two years at LSU and Arizona are, are very, very strong. He has power. He, uh, you know, he's a, a guy that, that finds the barrel an awful lot, just good bat-to-ball skills with him as well. Uh, but the, the big question is, what is he? Um, he played mostly third base this year after mostly DHing at Arizona, and uh, it's, it's rough at third base. Now, the thing about that is I think on a different team, they would have maybe 
been less insistent on force feeding him third base. That was a position that LSU needed. They didn't need a first baseman. They had an entrenched first baseman. They had a really good outfield. So could Jacob Berry learn how to play left field or right field or first base? Like probably, and maybe that would help him in the long run because one of the issues he has is making the throws uh, that third base requires of him. So I, I think that a team can work with him to find a good defensive position, but it's not going to be a premium defensive position. So you have to be completely committed on the bat. Ted Cahill with us, Baseball America, breaking down some of the best college prospects. Uh, let's go to Gavin Cross of Virginia Tech, an outfielder that's pretty intriguing. Wasn't on, didn't sound like he was on many people's radars coming out of high school, but kind of thrust himself on the national scene, absolutely mashing for a team that had an unbelievable dream season that was ended by Chicago, but almost said Chicago, by Oklahoma in a, in a super regional there at Virginia Tech. Tell us about Cross. Yeah, definitely under the radar uh, out of high school, especially in comparison to some of the other guys we, we've talked about, uh, but really established himself at Virginia Tech over the last few years. Power, speed, um, you know, some question about is he a center fielder, but uh, has the ability probably to to run around in center field and, and be all right. Um, had a, a very strong year. Virginia Tech period had an incredible offensive year. So if you pull up Virginia Tech's stat sheet, he's not at the top of the list, uh, but they were one of the best offensive teams in, in the country. So uh, he, he just kind of fit in with everyone else there, but he was really the focal point, what scouts or what, what scouting reports were focused on when uh, when he played Virginia Tech. Uh, again, a really good hitter. Um, you know, we'll see where he lands in the outfield exactly, but but pretty a pretty good athlete to go with all of that that offensive firepower. While we're talking about a, a localish guy here at Tech on Boston Loose Baseball, I might as well ask you about Chase DeLauder from James Madison University, who's twenty, a left-handed bat as well, a central casting body, six four two thirty five. He seems to be sliding down boards a little bit for whatever reason. But uh, who's Chase DeLauder? Yeah, so he was really off the radar, and that's part of the reason why he ended up at James Madison. Came to college as a two-way player. Um, you know, he, he's a left-handed pitcher in addition to hitting. The hitting part is what is going to get him drafted, and that's really what he, he's been focused on for the last year now. Uh, had an incredible season in the Cape Cod League, the, the, college, the Premier College Summer League, last summer. Uh, and that really vaulted him up all of the, the draft boards and, and got everyone very intrigued by him. Competition level at JMU has not been amazing lately. He had an injury this year, uh, which ended his season. He had a broken foot in like middle of April, I want to say. And just, I was a little, a, a little out of sight, out of mind at the end of the, at the end of the season. I don't think that's what's contributing to his slide. Um, I think some of what you're seeing right now is just questions about like how, how much do we trust what we saw last summer uh, and what position is he because he's probably not a center fielder, so you're looking at a right fielder, and do we trust him then to, to hit enough to be a first-round pick as a right fielder? Let's go into the, the college arms. I, I was wildly impressed with Cade Horton on that aforementioned uh, you know, Super Regional, then College World Series one where Oklahoma ended up finishing second. But I just was, he, he just reminded me of the starting pitchers that I grew up watching, right? Just you know, mixing, great command, and had enough power when he needed it kind of in reserve. I was really impressed, impressed with him. Tell us about Horton and then kind of give me a sense of where the college arms are for you. Yeah, so Cade Horton is uh, technically a redshirt freshman. He, um, he, Came to campus a year ago as a two-way player, actually as a football player slash baseball player. The 
football very quickly got pushed aside. That was never, he was never as good of a football player as he was a baseball player. So that kind of got pushed aside and he was initially going to, you know, be an important piece for, for Oklahoma doing both. Then he had Tommy John surgery uh, coming out of the fall of his freshman year. So he missed all of 2021. Um, then he comes in this year and is their starting third baseman on opening day. Uh, still isn't ready to get on the mound yet. Doesn't get on the mound until the end of March, I want to say. And the early results were, you know, they looked that he was rusty. Uh, but by the end of the season, you know, the, the stretch in the postseason was incredible. And he has incredible upside. That's a guy that if he were to go back to school, uh, you're looking at probably being a top five, top 10 type next year if he can show that he can maintain what everyone saw in the postseason over the course of, uh, of the regular season. I, it, there are a lot, of, a lot of moving pieces there with him. He's thrown like 50 innings in college. You're betting entirely on his body of work basically in June as being the true Kate Horton if you're really going to pay him. Uh, he has a lot of leverage because he is just a redshirt freshman. I, I, he is one of the most fascinating players in this draft class. Uh, other top college arms, um, Gonzaga's Gabriel Hughes uh, definitely is, is up there. Campbell's Thomas Harrington. Um, th- there, are, there are some guys out there that, that fit kind of in the back of the first round, but you'll also see a lot of those uh, guys that dealt with injuries and stuff um, probably in that same range. Rapid fire a couple of guys here to ask you about. Teddy Cahill, Baseball America. Read his work there, please. Does a really good job. Um, Let's start with the guy that was mocked to the Nats really before and during the beginning of this season a lot in the top five, and he's moved down the board some. Texas Tech's Jace Young, his brother's a, a good minor league prospect already. Um, he's 21 years old. He's not going to go in the top five anymore, it doesn't seem like. What uh, what gives there? Why has he moved down boards a little bit? I think with, with Jace, you're, the, the profile has kind of always been the profile. It just it wasn't maybe as loud of a performance as what you were looking for this year. He's a second baseman already, uh, whereas his brother was playing shortstop as a junior. And uh, he's, a, he's a really good hitter, has some power, but just maybe not the show-stopping tools that you'd expect out of a top-five pick. Which makes some sense. What about um, Daniel Susick, the catcher out of Arizona? I mean, how big is the gap between the guy we talked about maybe going five, Kevin Parada, the best catcher in the class, in name at least, at a Georgia Tech, versus Susick, and, and will he stay there if Parada doesn't? I don't think there's a huge gap. I think you're looking at both of those guys going in the top dozen picks. Um, Susack isn't quite the same hitter as Parada, but he is. there are fewer questions about him defensively. Um, I, I, I don't think – like it's not like he's a bad hitter, uh, but I – I, I think there's just some there's less impact in the bat than what you've seen from Parada. All right, and then the last one is my my man crush here. That I think it, I'm looking at pipeline here. He's 17th right now for them overall in this class. Zach Neto, who had the huge hitting streak at Campbell, I had him on my show on SiriusXM. I love this guy. Talking to him was a blast. He's got this Eric Davis leg kick that he does. Like he literally lifts his knee up before swinging. To his nipple. Wow. Uh, with two strikes, he doesn't do that, obviously. But I, I think this guy is a really nice prospect. He's a shortstop right now, and maybe he'll stay there. I don't know. What do you think of Zach Neto? 
I think he's really interesting. He had a great summer on the Cape last year. He was actually interrupted by injury. And usually for a prospect on the Cape, you get injured, you go home. But he came back after he got healthy, which is, I mean, that shows you how much he likes baseball, how much he wanted to compete and all the rest of that. Uh, he actually was a two-way player earlier in college, definitely a, a hitter now. But I think he's, he's fascinating. You've seen him rise on mocks, sometimes into the top ten. Uh, there, there's a lot to like about Zach Neto, particularly if you believe he stays up the middle. Teddy, I always like to ask this of, of guys that see so many players. Uh, give me somebody that's your favorite. I'll tell you mine just for example. I saw a highlight of Drew Gilbert hitting like a walk-off grand slam where he like threw the bat into the stands with his eye black like down to his knees. And I was like, yep, I like that guy. You know, he's like 5'9", spark plug type dude hitting bombs. But just give me somebody that you just really, really like and you always kind of find a way to bring up in conversation. Oh, man. It, there, there are so many guys I, I feel pretty good about. Uh, but, you know, I... So first of all, that Drew Gilbert highlight is incredible, and uh, he is he is a fun player. Um, you know, I I think that I really am, have been interested in Spencer Jones since he was a, a high school kid. Um, he was a, a two way player coming out of high school. He's like built like Aaron Judge, and he doesn't pitch anymore because of injuries. Now he's or he played right field for Vanderbilt, and uh, you know I think that those comparisons are kind of unfair to to him, but he's. He is just such a unique player. He's really athletic. He's like six seven, uh, left-handed hitter with some power. Like I, I will be very interested to see how he, uh, how he continues in pro ball. When in doubt, find the six seven guy with some tools and just track them. You know what I mean? That's a good follow. It's. Uh, I mean, it, the ceiling is very high. There, there's some risk with those guys, but the, the ceiling is very high. Which makes sense because the roof has to be higher, else we'll, hey, yes, yes. we'll bump into it. <laughs> hey, Teddy, love the work. As you know, you guys crush it at BA and you did an awesome job covering ball all year. Thanks for joining us. We'll send people to at Ted Cahill on Twitter and uh, BaseballAmerica.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So there you go. Now you're up to date on the top college players in this class. That was the goal. We wanted to let you know as much as we could about all the names at the top of this draft. We're jamming into one pod for you as you get ready for the Nats to be on the clock at number five. Darris, we always end these second show of every week with somebody saying something nice about us. So let's do it. We love when somebody says something nice about us. I absolutely love it. Here's another five-star review from Next Gen Fan. He calls this the best Nationals podcast. hey yo. There he goes. He says, Grant Danny always bring insight and analysis, whether on the radio or on this podcast. Love the info on the prospects so I can know who to look for. Great personalities and always fun to listen to. Keep it up, guys. Thank you, Next Gen Fan. We appreciate that. What a sweetheart. Danny, really, we just like reading these in hopes that someone else does it for a shout-out. But that's fine. Whatever it takes. If you just want to hear your name mentioned on the radio, all you got to do is say something nice. This is not a process that's about integrity. Mm -hmm. This is not a high bar. This is like sending $16,000 worth of chocolate (laughs) to all of your sources for Christmas. This is We're very cheap. This is a low moral threshold here. You say something nice about us, we repeat it. Everybody gets something. We get validated, and so do you. So there you go. A brand new episode for you, Boston Loose Baseball. Do us a big favor. Please spread the word as we try to grow this podcast. Please send the link to a buddy if they're a Nats fan. Tell them to check it out. Uh, that is the best way to help us to continue to have more people listening to BLB. For now, so long, and enjoy Nats baseball.